0: All right, Josh Smith here, live in my flat five studios. Today's guest is a good friend and literally one of my favorite musicians in the world. Uh, super inspiration has been to me for a long time. Also is always there with like a, a, a bit of advice or you know to answer a question when I have a question. He's just such a great dude. One of the best guitar players in the world. He's been a session guy, a sideman guy, a member of a major label band. He scored huge movies and television shows. Literally, he's done it all. I mostly, I I didn't realize you'd played with Tony Williams when I was looking you up. So that's something I got to ask you about. And Sure. But basically, this guy's done it all and we're going to have a great chat. Please welcome Lyle Workman.
1: Hello, everybody. (laughs) Thanks for having me on your show, Josh. I I don't even know how to to respond to all that. Oh, dude. You're talking about somebody else.
0: (laughs) Man so i've kind of started each one of these by getting to know i don't actually know this about you getting to know the family situation whether it was musical or not mine wasn't i kind of just lucked out into getting a guitar nobody played in my family and was what was the story with you how did the guitar end up in your hands the first time
1: well uh, my dad played a little bit of guitar just for fun. He would come home for work and pick up a guitar and and strum cowboy songs. He was was a country and Western fan, so he would play, and then I would watch him like, oh, that's great. And then once I started getting into Beatles and I saw that George and John played the same instrument that my dad played, then, well, I had to have it. Hmm. So I started pretty young. I started when I was about eight or nine, I think, yeah. And he taught me the basic chords, you know, that I call them the cowboy chords, you know, the open. And then I'd sit around and with my record player and play Beatles records. And I'm like, oh, that's the same. That's the same chord. And so I started teaching myself Beatles songs. And uh, that's how I started. Man, nothing like that. that. When you
0: first, like, without somebody showing it to you, figure out something you're listening to. It could be anything, you know. Two note sequence. It's still like such a. The hook is set. You're
1: never going back after that. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When when you can play anything that that you really love and you're able to play it and play along with the people that play it, it's like yeah, it's magic. It's a magical feeling.
0: That's it is, hooks it is, is all. Yeah, it's really it is very magical. Like I remember the first time I was able to just find the key of some song on the radio that I'd never heard and start for like you know noodling over the top of it it was like this this feels like a magic
1: trick to me you know yeah 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 yeah, yeah it's, it's great because you know at that stage you can't you can barely play mm-hmm. but it's uh it's still a joy you know I I, I taught for a while uh, I taught music at a guitar at a uh, music store for about six years and I found that the the kids were easier to teach because they they didn't really they didn't self-analyze where they were, you know, where the older, the older people would, Oh, I can't do it. Ah. You know, when, when you're a kid, you're like, oh. you don't, you don't do that. You don't, you're not, you're not, you're always just thinking of a head, you're thinking of head and, and not what you're, you're thinking of possibilities and not where you sort of stuck at right. that, at that point. Right. So, so after you kind of learned everything your dad could show you,
0: what was next was it was it all by ear or was it did you did you yeah. start to take
1: lessons no i i i didn't take lessons until a little later they they tried to get me lessons when i was in sixth grade and it was a guy that you know a stodgy guy in a little room that was the first thing he did would put up the notes mm-hmm. and in a book that had mary had a little lamb or whatever and that was like that was so not about the beatles and I just I kind of lost interest. It's too bad because I think it would have been good to have the right kind of teacher
0: mm-hmm.
1: to, to get me into that. They should have been little Beatles songs or something like that, or he should have yeah. hooked me another way. But I I, I quit that. And then um, I took lessons from a guy a little bit when I was around uh, 17 or 18. And now that, that was a little that was better. And that's where I learned the modes and things like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah I was around I think around 16 and then I went to a um a junior college and studied music for 2 years so it was a jazz improvisation and theory and counterpoint and sight singing and I learned a lot but, but by then I was pretty pretty you know I don't want to say I was accomplished or anything but I was you know I could play for example I could play uh, I'm going home note for note by Alvin Lee you know that yeah. kind of thing or you know, I was picking up Vishnu Orchestra stuff or Genesis stuff or, you know, I, I, I had a really, I, I developed a pretty good ear by then, but I didn't know what to name anything I was playing. And so I finally, oh, that's what a pentatonic uh, scale is. Or, oh, this is a Dorian mode or, you know, all the modes and all that. So uh, I learned a lot more about theory along with this, that, that teacher later on uh, around a little bit before that time. So in the interim between, you
0: know, the, the first disaster lesson, I guess, and, yeah. the, the, you know, the high school age lessons. It was all just you just pushing yourself, learning by ear.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Absolutely.
0: Wow. Wow. That's I mean, a lot of motivation there. But I mean, I, I, I remember vividly going to, you know, to my first lesson and it was at like a school, a music school, and that lasted the same one lesson before they found me like some younger kid from the classifieds to go take a lesson from because that guy wanted first to to my parents to replace my guitar and he wanted me to have the foot stand like the classical uh, guitar foot stand and it was all just about like selling me books and and another guitar and
1: stuff so my parents were like we're out of
0: this place yeah
1: well that's good they had the wherewithal yeah you got to get the right teacher and i learned that when i when i started teaching because that's what i would do all the kids would come in and want to learn Randy road riffs so that's the <laughs> that's what we would we would do and then i'd say well, let's you know let's learn how to read some notes here and let's let's learn about it so you, you got to get them in the right way and in the right the uh, right balance yeah
0: so obviously that's a, a period of time where there's a lot of great music going on and you're hearing a lot of stuff so you yeah. said your dad liked country and western and stuff. So was it all you bringing home the Beatles and all that stuff in the house, or he wasn't listening to any of that? No,
1: he wasn't listening to it. But it was on the radio. It was on you know, AM radio, <laughs> and so it want records. We go go to the department store and, and buy all the Beatles albums, you know. Wow. And uh, and so the, I mean that's the thing about uh, growing up in that time is that music was real fertile. Even the pop music of the day had interesting chords and melodies. And if you wanted to play that music, you had to learn, you had to have some, some degree of sophistication to play it. I mean, if you think about Paul McCartney playing the songs that his dad listened to, you know, that's how he could write a song like Martha, my dear, or, uh, you know, that kind of thing where there's some, there's some, there's some chords going on. That was the pop music of the day. So people were had that in their ears and under their fingers yeah and so yeah. you know my I, i'm the generation later of, of course but but still there was a lot of sophistication and a lot of good playing especially in the rock in the, in the jazz area too i mean that's there was a lot of just a fertile period of music
0: did you have a group of uh guys your age at all that you fell into who played you know who you you would hang around with or play music with or was it an isolated thing for you
1: no, in high school, I I, I was in bands with, with with high school friends, and mostly it was like Led Zeppelin and and the Who and uh, more rock based stuff like that. Cream, Hendrix. Were you that was the stuff in high school? What about in school? Uh, any any school band type stuff? In high school? Yeah, yeah. They, we didn't have a we didn't really have a de- a, a good band department. It was the it was kind of the, the marching band, and there wasn't like a cool jazz improvisation band or anything like that. I wish there would have, it would have been great to have, have had that. Yeah. So then, when did the
0: first gig start happening for you?
1: Uh, well, you know, it starts with being in bands in, in high school and playing people's backyards, right? You know, I'm sure you did the same thing. Of course, sitting in and all that, and then, uh, and then I was in a, a band that played clubs. This is out of high school. This is a couple of years out of high school, and uh, through those club bands, I ended up being in a, uh, joining this band called Bourgeois Tag. It was in the late '80s, and you know we played a lot. We played, you know, three, four nights a week, all over the Bay Area, and we ended up getting signed by Island Records. So that was my first entry into okay i'm i guess i'm a professional musician now <laughs> well did did you Next know you wanted grade. to be one like was it was it automatic oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah by the time i was a i would say by the time i was uh in eighth grade i knew that's all i wanted to do yeah wow. was to play music
0: and, specifically
1: guitar you know right right so
0: when it, when you finished high school, you said you went to, to junior college. Was that just purely out of wanting to take the music classes? Did you, because you already knew, so you, you knew
1: what you wanted to do. Yeah, I just, I, I wanted, I wasn't looking to get a degree. I just wanted to take classes. Yeah. And it was yeah, good. It. There was some good teachers there, and I, I learned a lot. You know, that's all I did is study for two years. I didn't get a degree or anything, but I, I, I learned a lot in those two years. Right. So how soon after that did you join Bourgeois Tag? Um well that that was a few years after that because uh then I then I was just you know playing in uh top 40 bands I played in a top 40 band for a while and just to make a a, a weekly paycheck sure and I found that to be really uh really tiring and uh I didn't like it. I did. I didn't like the idea of playing music, and I was excited to play. I wanted to play, and back in those days, they'd let you take solos and songs that didn't have solos. And so mm-hmm. I got I got to have a little bit of that, but just just the kind of vibe of the people there. Just you know, people getting drunk and whatever. Yeah. I just I just didn't feel it. It didn't feel like it was good for my soul, uh, but it was a way to make money for a bit. Right
0: from playing the guitar which is like you know it's like i i mean dude i mean do you remember the the first paying gig because i I remember like that feeling of getting 75 dollars from somebody the first time after i'd having done it for free a number of times that was like a 12 and 13 year old and then finally somebody like paying me for a gig i i felt like i had hit the lottery you know oh yeah 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 that's a great feeling for sure yeah yeah I just stuffed an envelope every week so i could buy a guitar of course
1: oh uh, yeah 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 right. man do whatever you do you can do to, to to get your instruments that's for sure
0: what was your main guitar back in that around that time like high school junior college time
1: uh junior college time it was a 1966 sherry 335. ooh all right <laughs> nice. you don't yeah. do you still have that one I wish I did. I yeah. sold it because I had, I wanted to have a solid, I wanted to have like a Strat guitar with a, with a whammy bar. Yeah. Wow. Those were the days where you could only afford to have one or two guitars and that was it. Right. Right. Man. So when you, when
0: you got in bourgeois tag, was that like the first experience, you know, full time in a, in like an original band where you're, you know, you're writing tunes together as an ensemble and kind of living that band life yes yeah absolutely yeah see i can't even that's something i don't really relate to so i'm always curious of what that was what that's like like to join an original band like that you know with a bunch of like-minded guys and have a certain goal it's never you know it's never been my i never had that so it it had to be really rewarding right
1: yeah it was it was great it's if you get along well and you like the music that you're playing uh, and what really helped is that we had we had a really good following, and it was a really solid band, a great band. Yeah. And uh, you know, there's a little bit of when you're that young. You know, for me, I was in my early 20s. Everyone's kind of got a bit of their own agenda, <laughs> and uh, you have to be a team player. And uh, and and I'm definitely a team player, but I think I also wanted to do. I wanted to go beyond the scope of the band. I just didn't know how, 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 what that was, what that meant. I finally found out later now as a, as a, a composer and a writer of music, which is which I, which is what I do more than anything else these days um, is to write music. But when you're in a band in that band, I, I was hired. The two central songwriters needed a guitar player. So they weren't really even looking for a, guitar, a, a writer, so to mm-hmm. speak. So there wasn't, tons of room i mean i i I took the opportunities to to make my my own parts and and to co-write a few things but uh i knew it wasn't the end the end game for me yeah so you kind of always looking a little bit like well what's next but well but we had some great times we had some great gigs and uh we made great music great great stuff with uh, yeah we todd Rundgren produced one of our our second record and that was a huge thrill because i've been a fan of his forever Yeah. And I mean,
0: you know, it it does seem like when I look at your path, it's like when you meet one person, you stay connected and and it leads to another person and another person, which is it's amazing how that works in this business, you know. And did you think when Bourgeois Tag was, you know, ending or whatever, that you would go on to another band like that or get into, you know, guitar player for hire type work? Like what was your did you have a plan at all or was it just whatever happens
1: it was whatever happens but thankfully actually the band Bushwa Tag we were hired to be Todd Rundgren's band in the studio he was making the okay. record and uh so we were his band with outfitted with other people but everything was done live in the studio and during one of those sessions uh our band right the night before our band broke up <laughs> so Todd uh he asked me and the bass player and the drummer to the, the, the main singer wanted to, my band wanted to start his own career. It was essentially it. Right. And so Todd scooped us up and said, well, you want to play with me? Let's tour this record. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up playing with Todd for a few years, did two records and uh, some tours to support them. Um, and so I just sort of fell into that. Yeah. Into working with him at right afterwards. Yeah. And did you, I mean, that, that situation,
0: you know, you're playing with guys you already know, with a guy who had produced one of your records, someone you know, and you love his music. When that, you know, when it when it turns to, like, playing for somebody maybe you never met yet, like a new artist, just getting hired, once that started happening, did you enjoy that? I'm always curious about that.
1: Getting hired? Oh, yeah. yeah, I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. It was great. You know, because I, I, I hadn't had, I never really had any designs to be a solo artist right or sort okay. of do the joe Satriani thing or 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 or, or steve vile that that wasn't really my uh trajectory because i like too many things i like pop music i, I like uh, i wanted to do sessions i wanted to record with a bunch of people i wanted to tour with the people so i never really had any designs to sort of present myself solely as a as a solo artist mm um but at the same time there was a side of me that wanted to explore that uh because i had always in ever since i was a kid i had some sort of way to record myself even when i was 10 years old i had a little reel-to-reel tape recorder and you know i still have tapes of me pl- playing pl- playing with my record player right and then it, i just always kind of uh I, I i kept that going so i went from that to to uh a, a, a four-track reel-to-reel I had uh, right out of high school, and then, and then an eight-track, and then a 16-track, and then that led to a ADATs, DA88s, and then finally yeah. Pro Tools. But I was always recording and, and always making up stuff. Like Maybe they were just little chord progressions for me to practice to, mm-hmm. but that turned into writing instrumental music, I, just something that I could do all on my own. or you know might write it and and then bring other people in to to play along which like it was a drummer or keys or or bass but something i could sort of control so i was doing that kind of along with all all along playing with other people and doing sessions and whatnot touring right and did you notice while you were you know because you're starting to tour with
0: at that point pretty big artists you know starting with todd but i mean you know obviously playing with guys like Back and Sting and, you know, pretty big, big, big artists that your name started to, you know, people started to have an interest in you having projects like that. Does that kind of push you to get that stuff released?
1: I wasn't feeling any, any interest from people in order, oh. in, in terms of my own stuff. It was more under the radar. Uh, so I, you know, this, I've just put up my fourth record, but over a, a whole, over a very long period of time, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I would just sort of whittle away at, at my own music in between work that had me, you know, not working at home, essentially. Huh. Interesting. That's, that's kind of always, that's, I've, I've seen it more. I don't want to call it a hobby that doesn't seem to, to give it enough uh, credit, but um, it's just advanced as, as my musicianship advanced the music right. advanced and my ability to, as you know, to, to record yourself and get into the technique of recording and to make, you know rec- great sounding recordings um, I did that along the way yeah well man it's it's
0: I mean it's hard to pivot and change like the trajectory as much as you have you, you've done a lot of things really successful. yeah, it's all come from being a musician and playing guitar but like different pockets of the industry from being in a band you know that had a deal to playing as a sideman with a lot of artists touring. <laughs> doing sessions uh to you know doing movies and television and you know composing scores and incredible stuff and also releasing your own music do you find yourself like you know having to change it all when you jump from chair to chair you know or was it all incredibly natural
1: it was all pretty natural yeah how do you like me now yeah yeah I I got my little light I forgot to turn my light on
0: hey you look fantastic
1: I want everybody to see the sparkle in my eye. <laughs> Man, because I, I, I remember when when I
0: first moved to L.A., after I got kind of more in the scene and was doing, you know, a decent amount of sessions week weekly, at least a couple, yeah. and then started going on, you know, touring gigs for long stretches of time, right. I thought you know, this was it. This will be my life. But at the same time, You know my name like i was asking my name started to build a little bit in the guitar player world so i'd make a guitar player record and release it and people would show little bits of interest and then you know you know this feeling the gig ends and you don't have anything to do you know and then you're waiting on the next touring gig and i remember distinctively feeling like man I could blink right now and 30 years would go by. And where would I exactly be at the end of this 30 years? I'll just have jumped from gig to gig and played on record. And, but but what, have, what will I have? I, I just didn't know how I would feel about it. And it, that, sure. that kind of pushed me more towards doing my own thing. But for you, right. you ended up in this whole other avenue. of, And I know it was kind of coincidence, the television and movie thing, mostly through through you know actual uh relationships that you had found you know made personally but right i mean exactly i was did you ever feel that way about the sideman stuff
1: i uh, you know i just i loved it i loved it um and i love the variety i've always loved variety mm-hmm. I, I like being in the back seat sometimes um but yeah, then you're again you're you're sort of stuck at at the end of the day. You, sometimes you don't feel like you're any necessarily any further than you were before you started it. Other than mm-hmm. you, other than the fact that you've seen the world and made made some money, which is great, which is fantastic. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, but uh, yeah, I just I just kind of wanted to do everything. You know what I mean? I wanted to 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 play with other people. I wanted to tour. I wanted to do records, and I wanted to make my own music. Yeah so i kind of i i i view them all sort of in the same area um i think if i hadn't had as much work outside work i would have made more records and maybe more i I would have put more energy into uh performing a lot more which i don't really do you know i just I, i i haven't i haven't really done that like put my own band together and just go out right Um, part of it's because once you start touring and and it's there's such a great machine there and there's finances and there's you know there's writers and there's there's tour support it's kind of hard to go from that to finding people to rehearse for a long period of time to play my music because it's 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 not something you could just pull off and so it's it's a little bit it's a bit of a financial thing I think if I was independently wealthy I would love to just hire a bunch of guys to to Frank Zappa style going and rehearse for a couple months yeah and then just go play
0: yeah it does become when we're trying to tour and I know this intimately play your own music touring you mostly do it hoping to break even you know it's a labor of love uh and yeah you're you're convincing guys to do it especially here in LA you know who always have other things going on so it's always you're the last yes let me hold you off until the last second to give you that yes, you know. Yeah, I'll go for that money. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's it's not you're easy.
1: Selling, you're selling your CDs on the road, and I I know that's a big part of it. Selling your product.
0: Oh yeah, it's super super important. It's the only place left where you sell the physical CDs. You know, is right at the yeah. gig. T-shirts. Yeah. And stuff like that. I
1: Henderson about that. He was saying that he just brings a what's he call it? Not a uh, a spool of CDs. <laughs> yeah he takes a lot with him
0: yeah he brings no like no art just like the CDs and like uh some sleeves or something that he puts them in the yeah. paper you know yeah yeah just to make it easy yeah it's it's you know but it, I mean that is what it when I tour it is it's mostly break even the merch is what helps me cover all the expenses and maybe put something in my pocket but also I do it right. because I have to do it I just love it you
1: know well, that's the thing. We we end up doing what we what we're motivated to do the most. you know what I mean? That's that that's the lane that we 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 put our energy into, I and mean, then hopefully uh, it works out. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean that's if you've uh, you've obviously put a lot of energy into your music and, and what you do, and it's it's great. Thanks, man. You go out so, there and you could play music and go to other countries and play it. People go to see you and now I don't know what that's like you know I've never I've never done and never sort of gone out and presented myself what I do because I'll I'll just do it on my own in my in between the paid jobs Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, and put records out every now and again it's a it's an interesting feel I mean it's super rewarding you know to
0: know I mean I'm sure you even feel this way having just put out the new record the fact that you know a certain amount of people who are your fans will automatically buy this and listen to it it's kind of like unreal like uh, actually i always feel like so grateful that anybody cares about anything like that that i've done you know or created so yeah when you go to you know like you were talking to those guys in sweden when you go to sweden or finland or or when i even russia japan and play a gig and some people show up and it's a country i've never even been yet it blows my mind you know, it blows my mind that's yes, yeah
1: it's yeah. very very cool yeah
0: so much of that is thanks to you know the reach that we have now because of the internet and social media you
1: know oh yeah it's amazing you know when i was talking to uh andreas and andreas Andreas and frederick from sweden in this podcast they they knew so much about me i was like wow how do you even know that <laughs> it, obscure stuff too like uh i was, was surprised but it's great wow. it's great because you can build a fan base you know all over you really can you know
0: build a fan yeah. base of and and they'll be loyal fans you know what I mean not just right. it'll be guys who will stay with you and that's yeah, yeah. that's really rewarding yeah,
1: yeah. yep, yeah. yeah
0: so I'm curious about the movie and TV stuff do you treat it very much like nine to five when you're working on a project do you like get up and do set hours and write right write, or is it still kind of like writing when inspiration strikes you know as if you're writing a song for yourself no okay
1: you don't have that luxury yeah because there's deadlines yeah so you've got to reach the finish line by a a set amount of time a certain amount of uh, you know there's a set time so you've got to get stuff approved along the way and so that that involves working every day and sometimes you're working 18 hours a day it just depends it could be brutal if you're if there's a lot of music and or a good amount of music combined with people that want to let you do as much as you possibly can throughout the whole process so they can have more choices yeah we like this but what i wonder if it could be any better you know what can you (laughs) and you're like oh but you're providing a service you know so that's what i do it's providing a service how often
0: on the projects do they have a really good idea of like the vibe that they want to go for musically and how often are you pitching them ideas and they choose one
1: uh I, i'd say it's around 50 50. yeah interesting some because I, I remember my with- uncle
0: you know, my uncle did a lot of movies back in the 70s and 80s and television shows he's my only musician oh. relative he scored a oh. lot of like 80s uh you know steven seagal and dolph lundgren 80s you know action movies uh oh, okay. and a lot of television shows but yeah he would tell me sometimes when he was pitching for stuff he would he would often pit they would have no idea what they want so he would pitch extreme ideas you know hoping to stand out sometimes like hey this television show I just pitched I pitched him nothing but piano for the whole score you know for for the whole show you know or this or that and I, and I assume now maybe it's a little more you know organized not organized but overmanaged, where guys really know what they want before the project even starts
1: sometimes sometimes and sometimes not at all <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's crazy you know, so, sometimes, or they'll they'll have a good a good film editor that will temp music in before you get started. And sometimes the, the editor does a really nice job and and comes with a, it has a nice idea, musical idea, and he can help the du- director. And then by the time they get you, they have sort of an idea of what they like.
0: Oh, that's interesting because then it's, it's like the, you're it's having, having to, to beat the demo. <laughs>
1: Yeah, or some or it could be the exact opposite. It could be the the music is very badly temped, and it's all over the place and it's multiple styles. Uh-huh. And that makes it harder because then you've got to sort of convince people what's good. And sometimes they don't know if it's good. <laughs> if it's great, they don't know if it's great. Right. You know, so it's uh it's it could be it's you could be you're working with people that are sometimes at times non musical people. Sure, yeah uh and then other people are not musical but they just go off the feeling like I like this music it feels right to me or it doesn't feel right and that's all I want is just people that, are, that have a, a good communication about emotional tone not necessarily stylistic information mm-hmm. that's 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 my job to sort of pull that out
0: yeah well the stylistic information is that normally I mean do they sometimes have an idea on like on Super Bad, did they say this should be like a funky soundtrack or was that you
1: no, that was that was from the get go. Okay, interesting. I mean, first of all, all super bad, and when when I first saw uh, clips of it, it was all James Brown and Funkadelic, oh. and that stuff was the music that was temped in. Gotcha. So that was that 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 blueprint was already there. It just worked, you know, as a juxtaposition to those two main characters. Yeah. So that was that was uh, that was kind of set in stone. Hmm. Man, that's got to be pretty cool to like. Sometimes,
0: sometimes you got to match something that they have, or sometimes you're going to throw out, you know, just an idea of, you know, is it? It may not even be a style of music or a genre, but just a feeling, and know that it's the right feeling for this, you know, piece of art. Basically, that it's pretty. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Have you found it? Have you found it? Have the resources to do that?
0: I mean i know when you started doing it you probably i mean you probably never thought this might be something you get into i don't know did you think maybe this was something you would eventually get into at the start of it no
1: yeah never
0: but i mean it's has it ended up being super rewarding it seems like it's it's combining so many elements of things that you love
1: yeah it allows me to write all kinds of music i'm interested in all kinds of music It it allows me to uh has allowed me to work with orchestras and write orchestral bass music which I love um, and the it's allowed me to be able to go to Abbey Road and 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 hire a 63piece orchestra you know just I've had you know I've made a good enough living to be able to fund that myself right um, so I wouldn't have had those opportunities I wouldn't have learned I don't think I would have learned the skill to the to the degree that I had, yeah. had I not had those experiences through me, through, you know, n- not only writing for these orchestras but also working with great orchestrators, because then they're you're getting right in the nitty gritty of what you're doing and how you can make it better, and you're you're learning from them. Well, that's what that I was, was the case.
0: Was- I was curious about that. Could you have pulled off this new record twenty years ago before you started doing oh, this right. stuff? Yeah, absolutely yeah. not. Like you could have played the stuff you play and wrote the tunes, but not made the record.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I would have played the way I played then because I think my playing has matured in a, a certain way. Mm. Uh, I don't think my chops are any better. In fact, they're, they're worse than they <laughs> than they were 20 years ago. But it's, that doesn't interest me as much as anymore. I'm more interested in writing yeah. compelling music that either has guitar or doesn't have guitar you know in my record this those areas that has zero guitar oh yeah yeah so it's 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 um um i I've, now I see myself as a com as a composer that plays guitar and not the other way around yeah
0: wow what would happen nowadays if uh well, it's moot now because nobody's touring but like you know if the call came in for you know, a super high dollar side man tour. Is this something you even entertain anymore?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh totally. All right. Yeah, if Steve wanted me to go back out with him. I would do it in a second. Got
0: gotcha. you. Gotcha. Very yeah. cool. Man, I I just gotta say, like, dude, I, I'm so inspired by like the arc of your career, but mostly like like you said by how you just keep getting more talented. <laughs> you know keep growing and adding more skills to your arsenal it's like it's a model for like what i want to do is just not that i want to do what you do but i just want to get better every day and i've always seen that from you from day one it's amazing
1: oh well thanks man i really appreciate that i I, the opportunities uh specifically through the scoring has really helped me i mean for example I think one of the first movies, there was a, a movie uh, that I was working on and they attempted some John Williams, some big sweeping score from, sure. I thought, Saving Private Ryan or one of those. And I said, well, we like something like that. And they didn't even know if I had any orchestral experience because I hadn't done anything to show that degree.
0: Right.
1: So I was like, okay. <laughs> and then, you know, John Williams is the greatest living composer, period. You know, And I, you won't find anyone that will argue that. Right. Right. Um, And so, you know, I've, I've listened to all kinds of music growing up, I've listened to classical music and jazz and all that. So I've always paid attention to what's going on, Tried to play some of it on guitar, try to do some of it on on a keyboard. And uh, so it was a lot of my ear that was really leading the way, bolstered by these great people. You know, I have the resources to work with an orchestrator that's done 160 movies. yeah. And uh, you could see this is good. This is great. This is, you know, you might want to think about this. So I was, I was learning on the job. So, so I had many years of on the job training. Yeah. And anybody in that same position that I've, that I've had would, would, would grow in the same way. because I don't know if Danny Elfman could write the kind of stuff now that he, that he did, that he did while I was in you know, Oingo Boingo back in the, in the early eighties. Sure. I don't i wouldn't think he could um but you, you 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 learn through the useless experiences and that's what's really been monumentally monumentally, monumentally helpful in, yeah. in in getting to sort of these other these new plateaus
0: yeah dude before we talk about the the new album i'm just curious i gotta ask about tony williams i mean i'm an enormous fan of tony williams I, you got any any little
1: tidbits you can share <laughs> Well, yeah, uh, it was a, a, a brief, I don't want to say a brief encounter, that wasn't right. Um, I got called to, to uh, I was recommended by some, by, actually by Steph Burns,
0: okay.
1: uh, the great player, guitar player, Steph Burns. Uh, Tony was looking for someone to write with for this rock project. And, and Tony ended up just calling me. I'm sitting in my little duplex in uh, San Rafael, and this is loud, yeah. This is Tony Williams. I'm like, <laughs> John, fucker. um, and no man. <laughs> uh, so oh wow, this is Tony Williams. And uh, I ended up going to his place several times, and we would just write together. He would sit at the piano, he had a tape recorder, he would play lines. It was kind of like a, a more rock, believe it record. You know that record? Of
0: course, yes, absolutely,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, and so. Uh, and we just would talk, you know, we'd have stopped and have breaks for eating lunch and stuff. And, and we just talk about music and it, he was great. You know, the, the first thing I saw when I went to his place, he had a, a, a drum set and a piano and some other stuff in a, in a garage converted garage. And it was a stack of CDs. And the first time I went there to work with him on the very top was a, a, a Sheryl Crow record. I remember thinking, All right. You know, I'm thinking of, you know, I'm thinking of Tony Williams, you know, playing with Miles and all that stuff. And, and and he, I learned that he just was a fan of all kinds of music and he was a perpetual student. Mm -hmm. He told me he was taking swimming, he'd he'd taken swimming lessons, he had taken, he was taking cooking lessons, he was taking orchestra, studying orchestration with a teacher. And at this point, he was, uh, he was about 50 years old. I think he passed away when he was 52. He was very young. Yeah. But, but what I learned from him is like, you just keep learning and, and you don't close yourself off to any one thing. It's you, you expand, you expand your abilities and your mind and, and okay. So here's another story. So I walk in. Uh, and before I see the the stack of CDs, he's got a, a double base yellow and with red hardware and I said, "Oh my God, it's a beautiful set." And I, I go, "I know, I know, double bass kick on, you know, a, a groove." And He goes, "Show me." And I start laughing. And he goes, goes, "No, show me." And so it was—it uh, was that song, um, "Space Boogie" with Simon Phillips it's on a Jeff Beck record. Uh-huh. And seven and seven and four. So I knew how to play that, you know. And, and so uh, I taught Tony how to play a, a drum beat within literally the first five minutes. Of walking into his, his garage wow and he was that's just crazy. a perpetual student you know that's that that's what i learned about him and and wow. another thing that he did that was really awesome was we were working on a song idea and then so he goes okay so la you play this line and, and then i'll then i'll just i'll solo over that 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 figure and he starts he's playing the line and he starts doing a drum solo with his mouth but the thing he's doing with his mouth is he's doing the iconic, uh, sort of crescendo decrescendo rolls on the tom. Wow. Things that are very Tony Williamisms on his with his mouth, and I just I started laughing. And he goes, "What?" I said, "You're doing you," but I totally recognized the drumming based on how you're you're putting it out with your mouth. Wow. That's how iconic of a drummer he is. That's how many drummers could do that. I don't know yeah that, I mean th- that's
0: that's a cool story man <laughs> that's wow yeah what yeah, a so was, icon man so yeah, I, yeah that sounds like an unreal experience and so my what struck me from listening to Uncommon Measures you knew your new record is freaking ridiculous but I've, I was wondering as I listened to it how over what period of time did you write all this material was, was it all like you know for this goal of this record or was it stuff that you had been writing over years and kind of putting aside
1: i was i work on it as time permitted mm-hmm. so it was off and on for about four years okay yeah yeah so it wasn't a start to a finish thing because i was busy and also i wanted my orchestrator involved from the get-go so I would I would do very basic mock-ups of, 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 of with sample with, with samples um, and it, send it to him and then he would take it to the next level or he would you know break it out to all the instruments but so I would work on basic arrangements uh, he did some uh, he did once actually one song the very last song is his, is his song he wanted to he asked if he could uh, include a, a song whether I would be amenable to him writing a song for the record and it's a beautiful song that he wrote but um so it was a lot of back and forth with him and he's so busy he works almost every day mm. he lives in between air studios and, and abbey road so he just gets on his oh, bike wow. and writes to one of the other places <laughs> <laughs> so when i was real busy you know off and on through those th- that time yeah so i would just kind of whittle away at it as time permitted when you took it to Abbey Road, was it in
0: complete state as far as guitar and rhythm section and everything? Yeah. Yeah. I always wonder yeah. about that on these projects. Yeah, you it know?
1: was complete. It was complete. It's uh, the way it is with the movies, too. It's with, with working on film scores, is you want to get everything completely dialed in. And then you also know what fits. And so you leave that for the last okay okay, right. and i i mean i don't have
0: experience with full orchestra but i i have done a lot of sessions with you know lately with much bigger horn sections and string sections and right the feeling of you know the first time you you go to a session with you know with a string you know 14 strings and 10 horns or whatever and they fire up something you wrote is magic right like and you've now done it for a long time is there any difference between the movie stuff and then this was your own record project? Did it feel any
1: different? It felt different because it was just the next level. Yeah. The, the movies, they were still playing my, my notes, and it was still an, amazing. But I would say that that experience, like you're saying, when you hear that many people playing your music mm. uh, and they're great players, it's just like a the big, the best drug in the world. Like I got to have more than that. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I knew I wanted to bring that to my own, uh, my own stuff. And yeah, so it was, it was just another level, another level up. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I've got a project coming sometime soon that I, I haven't talked about it yet, but yeah, it has more musicians than anything I've ever done. And yeah. So we had a big, big, big horn section uh, you know, full-on big band, and it was like, yeah, just super, just mind-blowing to hear it go down the stuff that we wrote,
1: you know, just like magical. Oh, that's great! That's great, yeah. Josh. Congratulations! Yeah, that's yeah. a it makes you feel like you've arrived, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, I'll it send it to you. Really I, I, I want to like know what an
1: you adult think. musician. I'll send it to you because I'm curious what you think. Oh uh, gosh, I'd love to hear it, man! I'd love to hear that. Yeah, um, man, so dude,
0: just. I'll get into the 10 questions now, but dude, the record is like a masterpiece. Like, it, 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 I don't think people realize how hard it is to make a record, you know, with that much going on and still have it be able to listen to it as if you're listening to, you know, a four-piece just playing music. Like, it just felt like, like, actually, we listened to it in the car recently. My son and I go on drives because we're bored as fuck. And we just go on drives, you know. And I put that on my son actually loves movie music he listens to scores constantly uh you know he's not a musician but he likes like music that changes a lot and goes places so i put it on and he just assumed it was a movie score and i said no this is my friend lyle's new album and he he was like man this is really cool and he normally never says anything like that about my the music i listen to (laughs) well that's a great compliment (laughs) so there you go
1: yeah you know it was a very it was a the trick I knew what the trick was going to be. The trick was going to be a band. When I say band, it'd be, you know, guitar, bass, drums, keyboards. Yeah. Uh, that's a meal, right? That's already a meal, a full yep. meal. Yeah. I, you know, and then they have 63 uh, musicians playing on top of that. Uh, I knew it was going to be uh, a challenge to mix it. And I, I worked with the mixer, Rich Bring cause he'd been recommended by several people um, Vinnie Caliuta recommended a couple other people and then when I went to Abbey Road the engineer there I asked him like who should mix this and he said oh there's this guy named Rich Breen I went it was a no-brainer and Rich had been Rich had had recorded orchestras there so he had the orchestral stuff down and you know he's done a bunch of jazz records and and he's, he's a great mixer and one of the first things Rich said to me is, uh, "Do you have the score? Can you bring the score over?" I'm like, "Yes." <laughs> you know, so I knew he was going to look at the score and go, "Okay, the, I hear clarinets, but let me see. That's in those two bars. I'm going to bring them up. Take oh, the spot wow. mics, bring them up. This is a little, little loud, strident. Let's see. That's in these bars." He's looking at the charts, and uh, and it was great. Wow, that's. Really I mean, that I didn't even go. think about
0: that, but yeah, how would you? I mean, there's so much information going on; it would be easy
1: to overlook the little thing that needs a bump right here. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, and because there's all these different mics, you've got the close mics, you've got the tree, you've got the spot mics, yeah so you can really pull lines out, you know, here and there, and and duck things, and so there's it's there's definitely a skill set, and something like 150 tracks yeah. of of you know mic tr- mic tracks and i would do sometimes i would do you know we do stems or we do striping where you would do you do uh, the strings and then the horns and then the woodwinds which is which is great cuz then you have more control yeah you have more mixed control so uh, we did we did that as much as we could we we didn't have much time we had 9 hours to do this whole record which was insane not enough time wow but the players there the you know abbey road the, these people are their reading skill is just out of control um mm. uh, and basically abbey road you know london and la are though the two greatest greatest orchestras players crazy players. Man. nine i didn't
0: realize you did it in just one day yeah it was nine and a half we had to go half an hour over time wow that's amazing man Unreal. yeah it's incredible I can't imagine like, yeah, being at Abbey Road and having something fu- the first piece fire up and just being like, you know, the smile you couldn't have wiped the smile
1: off your face, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Well, you know, at the same time, I'm just I knew how we had a short amount of time. So I'm like laser focused. Oh, Always yeah. listening and listening. So there's a few moments where I could sort of step away from from that that analytical mind and go, Oh my gosh, listen to that. Yeah. But uh I definitely had the hat on. of like, all right, let's get it all together. Let me pay attention. You know, I'm steering the ship here, so I better listen. But, um, you know, there was one, <laughs> there was one cue that was, there was a section of uh, of this, uh, not cue, the song, and it had this hairy line, the single uh, kind of a unison line. And we got to that part and they played it and it sounded like, like a good college band a good you know it wasn't it wasn't good mm-hmm. just when they got to that line and I actually started laughing because <laughs> it sounded it was like what happened <laughs> they all got drunk and then it was just it was it was complicated and so the next time they played it it sounded 50% better than the next time we win it it was like perfect mm. so it went from like kind of not good at all to great in in three tries that's how good they are yeah yeah
0: man it's crazy that world is so foreign to me but like seeing got readers basically just readers who play and read you know they they, you put the chart down they can read it down there still is something it's like you know there's something to be said for once you've played it through once you know even though you're just reading it and you played it right there's a difference between like playing it and just reading it yeah
1: yeah, I would I would have liked to have to have had another day, yeah, and, and taken a little bit more time and and, and gone through a few more passes. Mm. You know, this because there's a few things that 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 probably only I will notice Like, oh yeah, that's not quite there.
0: <laughs> Definitely, only um, you will notice.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's I'm, I'm happy, but um, yeah, it's just amazing. It's amazing what uh, can be done if you've got the right people.
0: Yeah, Yeah yeah it makes you realize now the way we make records. how kind of full of shit it is. I mean, dude, think about them just recording thriller or whatever record, you know, and Jerry Hay and the horns would be submixing themselves to tape down with the band, you know what I mean, And it's like if they could do all that we're we're out of our minds, you know, we're separate all this separate recording yeah
1: yeah yeah, exactly., yeah
0: all right well everybody please buy the record because it's brilliant let's uh let's jump into the 10 questions number one when you first started playing guitar and learning do you remember the first kind of riff or lick that you learned that you you couldn't believe you figured it out you know like oh my god i can't believe i got this
1: probably day tripper (laughs) that's a good one yeah yeah day tripper i think that was the one yeah definitely a Beatles song i can tell you that for sure
0: yeah that's a good one i mean it's it's a good one so i can i mean that feeling i remember figuring out uh even just like the intro to bb king slow blues the you know and oh, feeling yeah. like i had found the key to the universe you know what i mean like this was it oh it's, that's great yeah do you remember uh, the first solo you might have ever learned note for
1: note? Was that something you did? Yeah, I'm. Sure, it was probably a, a, a... Well, the first substantial solo was I'm, I'm Going Home by 10 Years After on the Woodstock record. Yeah. And I did that. I was in high school. I you was know, maybe a junior in high school when I did that. How did I, mean, I, I don't know how good I after. played it. I mean, I, I thought I played it pretty well back then, but I, I think if I it was recorded, I probably would not want people to hear it.
0: <laughs> My dad was a big 10 Years After fan, so I used to play him in the house a lot.
1: Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah.
0: What was that slow blues... Uh... <sighs> Fuck. I'm drawing a blank on the name of this tune. Oh, well, it'll come to me. <laughs> yeah uh all right number three what's the first thing you play every time you pick a guitar do you have something that like your hands just go on autopilot and play something without thinking most times
1: i don't think so no no do you have that
0: yeah normally like normally i'll i'll either an e or g kind of just diatonically run up major scale in chords with fills in between each chord You know kind of the same thing i do when i first flip standby on my amp and it lets me know if everything's working and you know all the way up the fretboard all that type of stuff you know yeah right no
1: i don't think i have that
0: in fact i i used to do literally the exact same lick every time i would flip standby so much so that guys would parrot it back to me so i had to stop doing it (laughs) (laughs) they knew it was going to be the first thing i played when i turned my amp on yeah.
1: Oh, that's hilarious.
0: What about, like, if you go into a guitar store, you got any little things to check a guitar and know if you dig it that you always do?
1: No, I'll just I'll just play some chords. Play some chords. Maybe it's just a, just a little bit of soloing, a little bit of a little shaky-shaky. <laughs> uh. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm not i don't think i have any set stuff that I play interesting interesting
0: yeah i'm always curious I've uh, during this pandemic i've thought a lot more about the things that i do subconsciously like yeah what am i playing when i pick up a guitar and i'm not thinking about it or especially i've been trying to focus on like what's the first thing i hear when i put on a piece of music i'd never heard before like where do i immediately go am i improving over the top or am i paying attention to the group like what what's the first thing i'm thinking and it's been yeah curious about that stuff lately
1: yeah
0: all right number four what key style song groove whatever do you most commonly hear like in the dead time when you're just you know getting ready for bed or cooking what pops in there a lot of the times for me it's always like a swung groove a shuffle something swinging normally with an improv over the top like charlie parker or something i just hear that on loop 24 hours
1: a day when i'm not working do you have anything like that sometimes i'll get stuck on something that i wrote mm-hmm. and now this day whatever that particular groove is like for for some reason right now i'm like this is a pedal thing with stuff over the top of it but right around sort of a medium tempo thing mm-hmm but that's just right now I could it, it could change but like yeah sometimes I'll get something that's swinging and kind of fast mm, interesting
0: yeah it's like it never goes away some ah, I don't know if you get this but I find because I'm I'm in my head I'm always improving. it's like I'm blowing so a lot of times when I lay down to go to bed I have to kind of like finish it before I can shut off that's oh clear. that's interesting
1: yeah that's cool, I know, man. Uh, I think that's that's great. Did, uh, do you like that? Do you like that? that I don't know, show? but
0: it it never goes away. Like literally, you
1: just I, that you're used to it. Just it's the way you are.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm just always hearing whatever, whatever changes. Yeah. I'm just, it just never stops, you know. And yeah, ah, I don't know. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm yeah, weird. That's cool. Uh, all right, number five when did you feel like maybe you started to find your maybe an individual voice on guitar was there any moments you remember you know cognizant you know realizing hey this is kind of something mine i'm going to go further this way you remember any moments like that i still don't have that
1: oh i disagree
0: I just i know what well I'm that's the thing i've
1: had me. this conversation with with a lot of people that have said well your your style i'm like what is my style i don't i don't even i don't recognize what it is because it's such a weird hodgepodge of lots of different things i don't i really don't know what that is to be honest mm.
0: no i hear it
1: like when when i hear something although
0: certain aspect of your playing to me may i, may, I might be more recognizing compositionally wow or okay composition you know but when you blow i don't think anybody sounds like you you know what i mean it's easy for me to pick out that oh no that's a
1: lot of workman you know what i mean yeah well that's you know that that is all all obviously the biggest compliment anybody can give anybody that they have a sound and a voice on their on their chosen instrument um you know i just think where we have in our heads we know where we came from and we know like oh, okay I listened to that guy that's how I came up with this little thing or I took what this guy did and I kind of made it sideways and then I added it with a little bit of this DNA, DNA yeah. and I threw I sprinkled some of this on it and it, and it becomes it ends up becoming a thing of course but it's hard for me just to, to to say to to be objective enough to say oh yeah that's that's my thing. That's something. Oh, yeah, it's I tough.
0: Do. I mean, if I if I played one of my solos right now, I could easily go bar by bar and say, well that I got from Danny Gatton and that I got from Stevie Ray Vaughan and that I got from Eric Johnson, but I turned it backwards and this I got from here and you know, yeah. Well,
1: It's the same thing, but I don't hear that at all in your playing. I don't yeah, hear right. that one bit. Not not yeah. an iota of it, but uh yeah. so I, I I don't know. I mean, I uh, I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse not to recognize that one has done that has achieved that because it makes me strive to to want to be better i've always Uh, been but
0: uh, i i and in your playing i've always heard this amazing ability rhythmically to like shift gears you do these like long searing things and then follow them up with bursts you know what i mean and i've always loved the way that you shift rhythmic gears it's really cool i don't know anybody that plays that way like you that always stands out to me yeah. yeah
1: You know, yeah, I'm I'm more of a short burst kind of guy. You know, when it comes to the the crazy technique stuff, I've got I I can't just go on forever. I have just never been able to do that. I've wanted to be able to do that, but I don't. You know, I just I don't. What if for whatever reason, my fingers just won't won't let me to do that. Man. And so, to me, if I'm listening to a solo that I've that I've done on a record, almost always my favorite part will be the way that I hit a note and held it. <laughs> yeah. or whatever that note was against the chord you know all oh, that note against that chord and the way i brand it yeah. that gives me the most more joy than all oh, that riff to me the riff, you know, the fast stuff is like oh okay it, it's it's getting to the good stuff and just yeah. it's basically adding a variety uh, of texture and yeah. and uh you know slow versus fast you want to have it all in there you know absolutely a lot of time but it's it's the it's the you know those the more i don't want to say quiet moments but that you know the right note or, the, or something that's slower and melodic is, is the stuff that I, that, I'll, that I like to, or that gives me the more pleasure of my own music if, if yeah. I'm allowed to do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely.
1: Okay. I have that right. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hear it. Uh, all right, number six. What would you consider one of your biggest weaknesses on guitar? What drives
1: you crazy? Anything. My, cons- my uh, lack of consistency. Lack of consistency. Um, when I make my records, I have to practice. And when I know, when I know, okay, I'm setting myself uh, aside 16 bars or 32 bars or whatever it is. I know it's going to take me a long time to 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 have a 32 bar solo that I'm going that I'm going to love from start to finish. Uh-huh. And so. I, I improvise, I'm always improvising the solos, but I'm going to go back, and nah, I don't really like the way I played that, or I'll, I'll play something I think, oh, I almost nailed it, and then I'll maybe, maybe learn it, and then replay it, and then replay it until I think it's just right, mm. and um, I don't know, I see other people play and it seems like it just comes out of them perfect, you know, that it comes out, you know, I've sort of learned that a lot of people aren't that way, even people that uh, because even when I did that, I worked on this record with Tony Williams, Pat Metheny was was the, was playing, and he wanted to he wanted to fix his solos that they right. sounded perfect to me. That's you know, not right. like going down. Yeah. Yeah. But we all have that, you know. We all have that. But I, it's it's it can be for me, it can be a bit debilitating. And oh, yeah, I think I have the standard that I have for myself is so high that's hard for me to enjoy uh what it is unless I've perfected it
0: <laughs> yeah
1: and so I, I hear you part of I, the reason I,
0: I, I it's part of the reason I push myself to get the solos live most of the time I I, yeah. I not that it maybe is a better solo than what I would do it's just I know if I commit to it it's over whereas if I then after the guys leave come back into this room and start working on guitar Then i'm gonna go down the rabbit hole sometimes and you know and i don't like that feeling of i can get this bar better you know what i mean or this bar better you know yeah Yeah. it it is tough sometimes to you're so critical of yourself because like you said you you have high standards for yourself and yeah so I've, i've i've found myself over the past five six years on my own stuff more and more and more not allowing the solos to be overdubs at
1: all you know that's fantastic yeah, see, I'm, I'm. I don't have that kind of uh courage. <laughs> I mean, it would be fine. I also, I want the level of the of the improvisational stuff to be as good as what I what I think is my strong suit is is writing music. That mm-hmm. to me is my strongest suit, not as a player, but but writing music. I think that's what I do best. So. Uh, I want it to be as possible, as good as possible. And, and, you know, again, I'm still improvising. I'm not working everything out, but, um, but my, my impression of my lack of consistency is the thing that drives me crazy.
0: Interesting. All right. Fair enough. Uh, All right. Number seven, who would you say is a huge influence on your guitar playing that maybe people would be really surprised to hear? They
1: would be surprised to hear uh well because there's my guitar playing in different settings you know what i mean there's the stuff that i do and then there's me playing on somebody's record yeah uh and no like in your voice in your thing
0: um, who's who's in there that maybe
1: people would be surprised
0: is is in there in the pot
1: well i think some of them let me start with the, the main ones so that I might need to do that first to get that out of the way. I mean, definitely uh, John McLaughlin is, is probably the you know, hugest influence in terms of uh, John McLaughlin. You know, uh, Steve Morse, gigantic yeah. influence. Yeah. Um, Ray Gomez, because he kind of had the rock thing, but he was well, a yeah. really rock well, with the smarter stuff. So I I, I always responded to his his playing a lot, so maybe Ray Gomez might be might be one of them. Yeah. What about? I don't know, uh, that's surprising. I'm trying to think of someone that would be oddly surprising. Maybe a non-guitar you know, player. I, oh, well, you know, certainly like someone like Michael Brecker, that just just an extremely uh, facile improviser harmonically. Um, you know, Django Reinhardt is a huge huge influence uh elliot e- for pop stuff elliot easton i think is the best uh, eight bar in pop music the best guy at it in terms of an eight bar solo yeah um uh, love his playing I, just, I like everyone's playing man i love your playing I, I, you know there's a lot of i love so many players in different styles um i don't know if there's anyone surprising let me see what would be surprising have I said anyone surprising yet? <laughs> no, no, not, not really? yet to me. No. Yeah, right. <laughs> Those are all kind of right in there. Uh, I mean, Ray Gomez.
0: I'm sure a number of guys watching will not know Ray Gomez, and if so, yeah, shame on you. You
1: need to look him up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, there's yeah, someone there, but I'm just not. It's not coming to mind. But there's, yeah. I'm sure there's a few. All there's right, so many great players. So many. So many chet atkins oh okay yeah. listen to my dad has records when he when we were growing up and so i love listening to chet atkins
0: nice nice. Yeah. see that's one Well, of course it makes sense legendary guitar player you know listen to a ton you don't necessarily hear him a ton in your playing so i that can make no. sense yeah all right. yep. yeah all right good one <laughs> i pulled one out yeah. All right, number eight. In a gig situation, would you rather be stuck with a great guitar and a shitty amp or vice versa? A great amp and not a good guitar.
1: A great amp. I'm oh, sorry, a great guitar. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, because okay. if it's a shitty guitar, I'm just not going to be able to play. All right. I think even you know, if you're, if you're a certain level, if you've got a good guitar, you can make any amp sound decent. But wouldn't you agree? I'm the opposite of you on this one. I'd much rather have the good amp
0: and the whatever guitar. Even though, even if the guitar is like the worst guitar with light strings, which is kryptonite for me, I think I'll give a better show with an amp and a tone that is more comfortable to me than an I've, because I mean, you and I have probably been in this scenario a million times. I know I have fly date, have my guitar, my pedals, and I'm stuck with some, you know red knob fender from the 90s that has no reverb and a closed back cabinet or a jc120 or something and that night is not a good night as opposed to if i just had even a twin reverb you know and whatever guitar i think i'd i would have a better night yeah but it's been split
1: 50 50. it's been one's been split down the middle yeah if if a guitar is not letting me do what I want to do on it, then that's it, all. Everything falls apart. Sure, but you, a lot of guys. You I have so it. much strength. You have Sorry, so much strength in your hands. I've tried playing your guitar before, and I couldn't even freaking bend a string. So you, you got. I I, I I would imagine you could make. You could do your thing on any guitar, regardless of. Except except if had extra light strings and super low action. Now I'm sure that would be terrible for you. It'd be difficult. Like I just got. Um, <laughs> I
0: asked Ibanez to send me a Satch model because I wanted oh,
1: right
0: on. I wanted a Floyd Rose guitar with a maple neck I wanted an Eddie sounding guitar and that was the closest Eddie wow. thing they had at Ibanez was like this Satch with a maple fretboard so I had him send it to me but nice. it came with nines on it on this Floyd and I can't oh, I cannot play it like I literally cannot play <laughs> it yeah
1: oh man yeah, yeah crazy I'm that's, uh, it's interesting right. that you'll be interested in a guitar like that man not, it was not for your own music right for other stuff
0: honestly it was just because eddie had just passed and i just wanted something like oh. that to have i never had really a floyd rose guitar and i just wanted to have one here to mess around with
1: you know right yeah someone told know. me that they they played eddie's guitar and it was terrible really now I don't know what that means but it was it was you said like it was kind of a piece of junk it wasn't very nice it wasn't very you know
0: I again, always got one the feeling guy's like
1: another you know, guy's you know, one not you know I I can't play your guitars and you probably couldn't play mine you know but yeah. but uh but still quality you know you'd, you'd be able to tell if a guitar had quality to it
0: I always got the feeling from afar like his guitars probably had crappy fretwork and you know were not that well set up but it didn't matter he could play through anything, is what it felt like, like from afar. I, I always I had that, right. that impression.
1: Yeah. 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 Same thing about Jeff Beck, too.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. There's stories about him pulling guitars, you know, the, a guitar out of the, the box from Fender and playing it, not even tuning it and recording. Yeah. <laughs> the producer told me, he said, Yeah, he did. The, the, he came to the studio. There was a box there. He opened it up. He sat down. He, you know, he went one time and they started recording. And the producer goes, Man, he did. I don't think he even tuned up. And then, Jeff Bet excused himself to go to the bathroom and the producer played it and it was crazy out of tune. You know, he just will muscle it. You know, he's he's got that, I think he's got the thing that you have, just like really crazy control. Yeah.
0: Wow. Man, I couldn't imagine that. Like, but and I always wondered too, it's like, like, you know, when I out guys I love like Albert Collins and Albert King who played in crazy weird tunings. I wonder, yeah. was that the situation? Like, did they pick up a guitar and just learn the way
1: it was? You know what I mean? Like, or I don't. Yeah, really weird. Hey, Albert King was a guy I was way into. Yeah, because I was I got into, uh, you know, Johnny Winter was my guy. Johnny Winter, I was really into him, and then Rick Derringer, and then they were. I had to find out. You got to go backwards. And then they were talking about Albert King, and I, you know, I I had a couple of that. What was that one live record? Oh, Oh, Live Wire Blues Power. Oh man, love his. Did you ever see him? I never got to see him. I wish I would have. Yeah, did you see him?
0: Oh, I never got to see him. No, No, I wish. Yeah, Yeah,
1: I wish he was sort of my favorite because it it was kind of closer to he was a little closer to rock or something to me than the other. Yeah, BB was like my gateway and has always been kind of
0: like my hero. But if you ask me, like, who I've listened to literally every day of my life for the last 30 plus years it would be albert king that's my first oh. thing that I put on and here and it's still the only music without in the entire world where a guy will play one note and I will audibly just go Oof. you know like I can't oh, yeah. it hits me in a way that I nothing does yeah
1: oh yeah yeah I feel that man
0: <laughs> dude speaking of so growing in the Bay Area how often did you get to see I mean there's so much obviously good music there how much did you get to see some,
1: you know, did, were you going to the Fillmore or anything like that? Well, in high school, yeah. I went to the Fillmore to see uh, Peter Frampton and Robin Trower. And, you know, when I was 14 or whenever I was able to get in. Yeah. I went to, the, I went to Winterland and to Fillmore to see some of those great bands. Yeah. The Who, I saw The Who. And I saw, you know, with, with Keith Moon and Peter Frampton and Trower and, I, d- I never saw Led Zeppelin. I really wish I would have.
0: When's the first uh, time you saw uh, Robin up there?
1: Oh, well, that was a little later. That was probably more in the in the Yellow Jackets time. Okay. I yeah. had you know, that first Yellow Jackets record. But I was You ever saw him, Robin. like, with Jimmy Witherspoon or Muscle White or anything? Oh, you know what? I did. Actually, I did see him with um, the Charles Ford Blues Band or the Mark Ford. Is that Charles Ford or the – yeah, Charles Ford. Charles Ford, yeah yeah so I saw that Uh, I saw him that was the first time I saw him and he was phenomenal you know he was (laughs) Robin Ford what can you say I
0: interviewed uh Wiedemeyer and he was telling a story about the first time he saw you and how
1: it changed changed his life (laughs) oh it was probably at some buddy's party right that's it yeah it was at a party yeah that's what he said yeah yeah he's a wicked player too my gosh man love it man and so I'm sure he talked about Chris Kane right of course of course yeah that guy blew all our minds I can
0: imagine yeah Yep. what a scene all right number nine what keeps you you're so busy you know with work what keeps you motivated to to just improve to keep getting better every year every month every day uh I, I, you know I, I used to have a kind of obsessive bad streak in me about maintenance like not wanting to regress and it it changed into a positive thing which was pushing me to be better every day you know and and I, I wonder like what keeps
1: you motivated to learn new shit? uh hearing what other people do yeah it's like wow you know certainly in the scoring world it's there's the competition is fierce and I'm up against a bunch of other guys that I I think are geniuses at what they do. You know mm. so I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to aspire to their level <laughs> quite honestly. Um and so I, that motivates me just being inspired by good music and good players. Yeah. I mean you just watch YouTube and just there's like someone you've never heard about, some guy sitting in his bedroom and you're like, what? I know. Yeah it's ridiculous well now you've got it on both fronts it's like you're watching
0: guitar players all the time who who both depress you but then motivate you and then yeah composers too like oh my goodness like <laughs> you know it's a like, double curse so like when you put on Mandalorian do you go man listen to that as opposed to just being able to enjoy
1: the show now well that's hard for me to separate it now because I'm always listening to what's going on because I need to hear what's going on with, with what they're doing and sometimes I'm like, all right, I hear what that is. Cool. It's it's good. And sometimes like, oh, I don't know what that is. Yeah. Or that is a different way of, uh, uh, of working with instrumentation that I, that's slightly different from the norm. Mm. So I'm always listening for the stuff that's a little bit off center. Yeah. I, yeah. I tend to like the off center stuff. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So I, again, it's just hearing great music and having the opportunity to to, when someone hires me to do a job, like, well, what can I bring to the party that's going to uh, allow me to take that? Because I'm getting paid to do it now, so then I, well, then I'm motivated. Because then I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta blow people away. You know, I want, I want people to really like what I do, and so that's another motivator.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. Cool, man. All
0: right. You well, number your... job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, number ten is just like a wrap it up question. Are you a guy who makes sets goals and makes you know down the road plans five-year plans or is it by this just just see what happens and react you know i'm a guy who tries to set goals for myself do you have that in you you know do you have a five-year
1: plan or something things
0: you want to accomplish
1: no it's really a terrible answer because (laughs) i i don't think it's a good example i i think i'm setting a terrible example (laughs) I think I've been extremely lucky and I've had been in the right place at the right time. I've worked at it, but I've had, I've been able to keep busy and in, in the downtime work on my own music, which keeps me very busy. So it's, it's been, uh, I've been really fortunate in that way, but, uh, no, I have not, it's not, I don't, I can't give you an example. I set this goal and then I achieved it hmm uh I think i am just motivated enough to just to keep working yeah and so those goals just kind of uh things come to fruition from from my work ethic right right well
0: I mean it it's weird I I set not time limits but definitely goals I always have like oh I want to get to this plateau you know and it could be really stupid stuff not money motivated in any way You know, it could be a, something i want to learn or something i want to be able to do uh you know not just oh i want to get to oh, i want to be on a tour bus instead of in a van you know when i'm doing my own stuff or stuff like that it's normally not those type of goals but yeah
1: i ch- it helps me to kind of set little ones like that i know. think that's great i think yeah. that's that's a, a i think that's a very effective way uh to go about your life to do that yeah Yeah. well
0: dude that's it that was the end of the 10 questions we made it to the end (laughs) oh that was very enjoyable yeah man thank you for taking the time out of your day and everybody there will be links to all things Lyle Workman in the body of this video so please make sure you buy the new record because it's so good uh and uh for the rulers if you're not a ruler please become a ruler or at least subscribe to the channel because it keeps me motivated to put in effort (laughs) to this which uh is in the pandemic that's what I need is motivation to do anything so please keep keep watching but dude thank you for taking time out of, of the day to do this I really greatly appreciate it
1: well thank you for asking me I'm honored to be included of course man thank you so much it was great talking to you
0: dude you're such an inspiration to me man I truly mean that from you know wow
1: it's it's I love I mean, it's I I don't know how I am but uh, but it's great to hear that (laughs) (laughs) no man I I always you know
0: you've always been so kind to me the times that we've been you know in the same place or when when I have a question or you know give you a shout you always are there with encouraging words or a bit of advice and and you know, I'm I'm the kind of guy who, you know, I I don't know I don't always fit into every social circle in the music business because I'm really straight laced, you know, and and I just like to work. And I always kind of felt like that way about you, you know, like you just want to make the best shit you can and play music. So I always felt like I can look up to you, you know. Well, that's
1: really nice to hear. I mean, you, you, uh, I mean, I I I have utmost respect for what you do, your your musicianship, your singing and your playing is phenomenal. Thanks. And man. I've geeked out on you on YouTube. I went I've gone down the Josh Smith rabbit hole and just mind blown. Yeah. So um I, you know, it's reciprocal. You know, you you help me, you make me want to be a better player. Well thanks, man. I appreciate you saying that, dude. And thank you so much for doing this.